Chapter 12 and Epilogue of Miss Mapp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kara Schallenberg. Miss Mapp by E. F. Benson. Chapter 12. Peace on earth and mercy mild, sang Miss Mapp, holding her head back with her uvula clearly visible. She sat in her usual seat close below the pulpit, and the sun streaming in through a stained-glass window opposite made her face of all colours, like Joseph's coat. Not knowing how it looked from outside, she pictured to herself a sort of celestial radiance coming from within, though Diva, sitting opposite, was reminded of the iridescent hues observable on cold-boiled beef. But then Miss Mapp had registered the fact that Diva's notion of singing alto was to follow the trebles at the uniform distance of a minor third below, so that matters were about square between them. She wondered between the verses if she could say something very tactful to Diva, which might, before next Christmas, induce her not to make that noise. Major Flint came in just before the first hymn was over, and held his top-hat before his face by way of praying in secret, before he opened his hymn-book. A piece of loose holly fell down from the window-ledge above him, on the exact middle of his head, and the jump that he gave was, considering his baldness, quite justifiable. Captain Puffin, Miss Mapp was sorry to see, was not there at all, but he had been unwell lately with attacks of dizziness, one of which had caused him— in the last game of golf that he had played, to fall down on the eleventh green and groan. If these attacks were not due to his lack of perseverance, no right-minded person could fail to be very sorry for him. There was a good deal more peace on earth as regards tilling than might have been expected considering what the week immediately before Christmas had been like. A picture by Miss Coles, who had greatly dropped out of society lately, owing to her odd ways, called Adam, which was certainly Mr. Hopkins, though no one could have guessed, had appeared for sale in the window of a dealer in pictures and curios, but had been withdrawn from public view at Miss Mapp's personal intercession, and her revelation of whom, unlikely as it sounded, the picture represented. The unchivalrous dealer had told the artist the history of its withdrawal, and it had come to Miss Mapp's ears, among many other things, that quaint Irene had imitated the scene of intercession with such piercing fidelity that her servant, Lucy Eve, had nearly died of laughing. Then there had been clandestine bridge at Mr. Wise's house on three consecutive days, and on none of these occasions was Miss Mapp asked to continue the instruction which she had professed herself perfectly willing to give to the Contessa. The Contessa, in fact, there seemed to be no doubt about it, had declared that she would sooner not play bridge at all than play with Miss Mapp, because the effort of not laughing would put an unwarrantable strain on those muscles which prevented you from doing so. Then the Contessa had gone to tea quite alone with Major Benjy, and though her shrill and senseless monologue was clearly audible in the street as Miss Mapp went by to post her letter again, the Major's Dominic had stoutly denied that he was in, and the notion that the Contessa was haranguing all by herself in his drawing-room was too ridiculous to be entertained for a moment. And Diva's dyed dress had turned out so well that Miss Mapp gnashed her teeth 
at the thought that she had not had hers dyed instead. With some green chiffon round the neck, even Diva looked quite distinguished, for Diva. Then, quite suddenly, an angel of peace had descended on the distracted garden-room, for the Poppets, the Contessa, and Mr. Wise all went away to spend Christmas and the New Year with the Wises of Whitchurch. It was probable that the Contessa would then continue a round of visits with all that coroneted luggage, and leave for Italy again without revisiting Tilling. She had behaved as if that was the case, for taking advantage of a fine afternoon she had borrowed the Royce, and whirled round the town on a series of calls, leaving PPC cards everywhere, and saying only, so Miss Mapp gathered from Withers, "'Your mistress not in, so sorry,' and had driven away before Withers could get out the information that her mistress was very much in, for she had a bad cold. But there were the PPC cards, and the Wises with their future connections were going to Whitchurch, and after a few hours of rage against all that had been going on, without revenge being now possible, and of reaction after the excitement of it, a different reaction set in. Odd and unlikely as it would have appeared a month or two earlier, when Tilling was seething with duels, it was a fact that it was possible to have too much excitement. Ever since the Contessa had arrived, she had been like an active volcano, planted down among dangerously inflammable elements, and the removal of it was really a matter of relief. Miss Mapp felt that she would be dealing again with materials whose properties she knew, and since, no doubt, the strain of Susan's marriage would soon follow, it was a merciful dispensation that the removal of the volcano granted Tilling a short, restorative pause. The young couple would be back before long, and with Susan's approaching elevation certainly going to her head, and making her talk in a manner wholly intolerable about the grandeur of the Wises of Whitchurch, it was a boon to be allowed to recuperate for a little, before settling to work afresh to combat Susan's pretensions. There was no fear of being dull, for plenty of things had been going on in Tilling before the Contessa flared on the high street, and plenty of things would continue to go on, after she had taken her explosions elsewhere. By the time that the second lesson was being read, the sun had shifted from Miss Mapp's face, and enabled her to see how ghastly dear Evie looked when focused under the blue robe of Jonah, who was climbing out of the whale. She had had her disappointments to contend with, for the Contessa had never really grasped at all who she was. Sometimes she mistook her for Irene, sometimes she did not seem to see her, but never had she appeared fully to identify her as Mr. Bartlett's wee wifey. But then, dear Evie was very insignificant, even when she squeaked her loudest. Her best friends, among whom was Miss Mapp, would not deny that. She had been wilted by non-recognition. She would recover again, now that they were all left to themselves. The sermon contained many repetitions, and a quantity of split infinitives. The Padre had once openly stated that Shakespeare was good enough for him, and that Shakespeare was guilty of many split infinitives. On that occasion there had nearly been a breach between him and Mistress Mapp, for Mistress Mapp had said, "'But then you are not Shakespeare, dear Padre,' and he could find nothing better to reply than, "'Hoots!' There was nothing more of interest about the sermon. At the end of the service Miss Mapp lingered in the church, looking at the lovely decorations of holly and laurel, for which she was so largely responsible, 
until her instinct assured her that everybody else had shaken hands, and was wondering what to say next about Christmas. Then, just then, she hurried out. They were all there, and she came like the late and honoured guest. Poor Diva! "'Diva, darling,' she said, "'Merry Christmas, and Evie, and the Padre. "'Padre, dear, thank you for your sermon. "'And Major Benji. "'Merry Christmas, Major Benji. "'What a small company we are, but not the less Christmassy. "'No Mr. Wise, no Susan, no Isabel. "'Oh, and no Captain Puffin. "'Not quite well again, Major Benji. "'Tell me about him. "'Those dreadful fits of dizziness, so hard to understand.' She beautifully succeeded in detaching the Major from the rest. With the peace that had descended on Tilling, she had forgiven him for having been made a fool of by the Contessa. "'I'm anxious about my friend Puffin,' he said. "'Not at all up to the mark. Most depressed. I told him he had no business to be depressed. It's selfish to be depressed,' I said. "'If we were all depressed, it would be a dreary world, Miss Elizabeth. He's sent for the doctor.' I was to have had a round of golf with Puffin this afternoon, but he doesn't feel up to it. It would have done him much more good than a host of doctors. "'Oh, I wish I could play golf, and not disappoint you of your round, Major Benji,' said she. Major Benji seemed rather to recoil from the thought. He did not profess, at any rate, any sympathetic regret. "'And we were going to have had our Christmas dinner together to-night,' he said, "'and spend a jolly evening afterwards.' "'I'm sure quiet is the best thing for Captain Puffin with his dizziness,' said Miss Mapp firmly. A sudden audacity seized her. Here was the Major feeling lonely as regards his Christmas evening. Here was she delighted that he should not spend it jollily with Captain Puffin, and there was plenty of plum-pudding.' "'Come and have your dinner with me,' she said. "'I'm alone, too.' He shook his head. "'Very kind of you, I'm sure, Miss Elizabeth,' he said. "'But I think I'll hold myself in readiness to go across to poor old Puffin, if he feels up to it. I feel lost without my friend Puffin.' "'But you must have no jolly evening, Major Benji,' she said. "'So bad for him. A little soup and a good night's rest. That's the best thing.' "'Perhaps he would like me to go in and read to him. "'I will gladly. Tell him so from me. "'And if you find he doesn't want anybody, not even you, "'well, there's a slice of plum-pudding at your neighbour's, "'and such a warm welcome.' "'She stood on the steps of her house, "'which in summer were so crowded with sketchers, "'and would have kissed her hand to him "'had not Diva been following close behind, "'for even on Christmas Day poor Diva was capable of finding something ill-natured to say about the most tender and womanly action, and Miss Mapp let herself into her house with only a little wave of her hand. Somehow the idea that Major Benji was feeling lonely and missing the quarrelsome society of his debauched friend was not entirely unpleasing to her. It was odd that there should be anybody who missed Captain Puffin. Without wishing Captain Puffin any unpleasant experience, she would have borne with equanimity the news of his settled melancholia, or his permanent dizziness, for Major Benji with his bright robustness was not the sort of man to provide a willing comrade to a chronically dizzy or melancholic friend. Nor would it be right that he should be so. Men in the prime of life were not meant for that, nor were they meant to be the victims of designing women, even though the wises of Whitchurch. He was saved from that by their most opportune departure." 
In spite of her readiness to be interrupted at any moment, Miss Mapp spent a solitary evening. She had pulled a cracker with Withers, and severely jarred a tooth over a threepenny piece in the plum pudding, but there had been no other events. Once or twice, in order to see what the night was like, she had gone to the window of the garden-room, and been aware that there was a light in Major Benjy's house, but when half-past ten struck, she had despaired of company and gone to bed. A little carol-singing in the streets gave her a Christmas feeling, and she hoped that the singers got a nice supper somewhere. Miss Mapp did not feel as genial as usual when she came down to breakfast next day, and omitted to say good morning to her rainbow of piggies. She had run short of wool for her knitting, and Boxing Day appeared to her a very ill-advised institution. "'You would have imagined,' thought Miss Mapp, as she began cracking her egg, "'that the tradespeople had had enough relaxation on Christmas Day, "'especially when, as on this occasion, it was immediately preceded by Sunday, "'and would have been all the better for getting to work again. "'She never relaxed her effort for a single day in the year, and why?' An overpowering knocking on her front door caused her to stop cracking her egg. That imperious summons was succeeded by but a moment of silence, and then it began again. She heard the hurried step of Withers across the hall, and almost before she could have been supposed to reach the front door, Diva burst into the room. "'Dead!' she said. "'In his soup! Captain Puffin! Can't wait!' She whirled out again, and the front door banged. Miss Mapp ate her egg in three mouthfuls, had no marmalade at all, and, putting on the Prince of Wales' cloak, tripped down into the high street. Though all shops were shut, Evie was there with her market-basket, eagerly listening to what Mrs. Brace, the doctor's wife, was communicating. Though Mrs. Brace was not, strictly speaking, in society, Miss Mapp waived all social distinctions, and pressed her hand with a mournful smile. "'Is it all too terribly true?' she asked. Mrs. Brace did not take the smallest notice of her, and, dropping her voice, spoke to Evie in tones so low that Miss Mapp could not catch a single syllable, except the word soup, which seemed to imply that Diva had got hold of some correct news at last. Evie gave a shrill little scream at the concluding words, whatever they were, as Mrs. Brace hurried away. Miss Mapp firmly cornered Evie, and heard what had happened. Captain Puffin had gone up to bed last night, not feeling well, without having any dinner. But he had told Mrs. Gashley to make him some soup, and he would not want anything else. His parlour-maid had brought it to him, and had soon afterwards opened the door to Major Flint, who, learning that his friend had gone to bed, went away. She called her master in the morning, and found him sitting, still dressed, with his face in the soup which he had poured out into a deep soup-plate. This was very odd, and she had called Mrs. Gashley. They settled that he was dead, and rang up the doctor who agreed with them. It was clear that Captain Puffin had had a stroke of some sort, and had fallen forward into the soup which he had just poured out. "'But he didn't die of his stroke,' said Evie in a strangled whisper. "'He was drowned.' "'Drowned, dear?' said Miss Mapp. "'Yes, lungs were full of oxtail. Oh, dear me! A stroke first, and he fell forward with his face in his soup-plate, and got his nose and mouth quite covered with the soup. He was drowned, all on dry land and in his bedroom. Too terrible! 
"'What dangers we are all in!' She gave a loud squeak and escaped to tell her husband. Diva had finished calling on everybody and approached rapidly. "'He must have died of a stroke,' said Diva. "'Very much depressed lately. That precedes a stroke.' "'Oh, then haven't you heard, dear?' said Miss Mapp. "'It is all too terrible. On Christmas Day, too.' "'Suicide?' asked Diva. "'Oh, how shocking!' "'No, dear, it was like this.' Miss Mapp got back to her house long before she usually left it. Her cook came up with the proposed bill of fare for the day. "'That will do for lunch,' said Miss Mapp, "'but not soup in the evening. A little fish from what was left over yesterday, and some toasted cheese. That will be plenty. Just a tray.' Miss Mapp went to the garden-room, and sat at her window. "'All so sudden,' she said to herself. She sighed. "'I dare say there may have been much that was good in Captain Puffin,' she thought, "'that we knew nothing about.' She wore a wintry smile. "'Major Benji will feel very lonely,' she said. End of chapter 12 Epilogue Miss Mapp went to the garden-room, and sat at her window. It was a warm, bright day of February, and a butterfly was enjoying itself in the pale sunshine on the other window, and perhaps, so Miss Mapp sympathetically interpreted its feelings, was rather annoyed that it could not fly away through the pane. It was not a white butterfly, but a tortoise-shell, very pretty, and in order to let it enjoy itself more she opened the window, and it fluttered out into the garden. Before it had flown many yards, a starling ate most of it up, so the starling enjoyed itself too. Miss Mapp fully shared in the pleasure first of the tortoise-shell, and then of the starling, for she was enjoying herself very much too, though her left wrist was terribly stiff. But Major Benji was so cruel, he insisted on her learning that turn of the wrist which was so important in golf. "'Upon my word, you've got it now, Miss Elizabeth,' he had said to her yesterday, and then made her do it all over again fifty times more. Such a bully! Sometimes she struck the ground, sometimes she struck the ball, sometimes she struck the air, but he had been very much pleased with her, and she was very much pleased with him. She forgot about the butterfly, and remembered the starling. It was idle to deny that the last six weeks had been a terrific strain, and the strain on her left wrist was nothing to them. The worst tension of all, perhaps, was when Diva had bounced in with the news that the Contessa was coming back. That was so like Diva. The only foundation for the report proved to be that Figgis had said to her Janet that Mr. Wise was coming back, and either Janet had misunderstood Figgis, or Diva, far more probably, had misunderstood Janet, and Miss Mapp only hoped that Diva had not done so on purpose, though it looked like it. Stupid as poor Diva undoubtedly was, it was hard for charity itself to believe that she had thought that Janet really said that. But when this report proved to be totally unfounded, Miss Mapp rose to the occasion, and said that Diva had spoken out of stupidity, and not out of malice towards her. Then in due course Mr. Wise had come back, and the two poppets had come back, and only three days ago one poppet had become a wise, and they had all three gone for a motor-tour on the continent in the Royce. Very likely they would go as far south as Capri, and Susan would stay with her new grand Italian connections. 
What she would be like when she got back, Miss Mapp forbore to conjecture, since it was no use anticipating trouble. But Susan had been so grandiose about the Wises, multiplying their incomes and their acreage by fifteen or twenty, so Miss Mapp conjectured, and talking so much about country families, that the liveliest imagination failed to picture what she would make of the Faraglionis. She already alluded to the Count as my brother-in-law, Secco Faraglioni, but had luckily heard Diva say, Faradidlioni, in a loud aside, which had made her a little more reticent. Susan had taken the insignia of the member of the British Empire with her, as she at once conceived the idea of being presented to the Queen of Italy by Amelia, and going to a court ball, and Isabel had taken her manuscript book of malaprops and spoonerisms. If she put down all the Italian malaprops that Mrs. Wise would commit, it was likely that she would bring back two volumes instead of one. Though all these grandeurs were so rightly irritating, the departure of the young couple and Isabel had left Tilling, already shocked and shattered by the death of Captain Puffin, rather flat and purposeless. Miss Mapp alone refused to be flat, and had never been so full of purpose. She felt that it would be unpardonably selfish of her if she regarded for a moment her own loss, when there was one in Tilling who suffered so much more keenly, and she set herself with admirable singleness of purpose to restore Major Benji's zest in life, and fill the gap. She wanted no assistance from others in this. Diva, for instance, with her jerky ways, would be only too apt to jar on him, and her black dress might remind him of his loss, if Miss Mapp had asked her to go shares in the task of making the Major's evenings less lonely. Also the weather, during the whole of January, was particularly inclement, and it would have been too much to expect Diva to come all the way up the hill in the wet, while it was but a step from the Major's door to her own. So there was little or nothing in the way of winter bridge as far as Miss Mapp and the Major were concerned. Piquet, with a single sympathetic companion who did not mind being rubiconed at threepence a hundred, was as much as he was up to at present. With the end of the month a balmy foretaste of spring, such as had encouraged the tortoise-shell butterfly to hope, set in, and the Major used to drop in after breakfast and stroll round the garden with her, smoking his pipe. Miss Mapp's sweet snowdrops had begun to appear, and green spikes of crocuses pricked the black earth, and the sparrows were having such fun in the creepers. Then one day the Major, who was going out to catch the 11.20 tram, had a golf-stick, as Miss Mapp so foolishly called it, with him, and a golf-ball, and after making a dreadful hole in her lawn she had hit the ball so hard that it rebounded from the brick wall, which was quite a long way off, and came back to her very feet, as if asking to be hit again by the golf-stick, no, golf-club. She learned to keep her wonderfully observant eye on the ball, and bought one of her own. The Major lent her a mashie, and before anyone would have thought it possible, she had learned to propel her ball right over the bed where the snowdrops grew, without beheading any of them in its passage. It was the turn of the wrist that did that, and Withers cleaned the dear little mashie afterwards, and put it safely in the corner of the garden-room. Today was to be epoch-making. They were to go out to the real links by the 11.20 tram, consecrated by so many memories, and he was to call for her at eleven. He had key-hide for porridge fully an hour ago. 
After letting out the tortoiseshell butterfly from the window looking into the garden, she moved across to the post of observation on the street, and arranged snowdrops into a little glass vase. There were a few over when that was full, and she saw that a reel of cotton was close at hand, in case she had an idea of what to do with the remainder. Eleven o'clock chimed from the church, and on the stroke she saw him coming up the few yards of street that separated his door from hers, so punctual, so manly. Diva was careering about the high street as they walked along it, and Miss Mapp kissed her hand to her. "'Off to play golf, darling,' she said. "'Is that not grand? Au reservoir!' Diva had not missed seeing the snowdrops in the Major's buttonhole, and stood stupefied for a moment at this news. Then she caught sight of Evie, and shot across the street to communicate her suspicions. Quaint Irene joined them, and the Padre. "'Snowdrops, effegs!' said he. End of epilogue. Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on October 22, 2008, in San Diego, California. And this is the end of Miss Map by E. F. Benson.